0: You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
2: Hello. Welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food, and share the stories of the people who make, sell, and love it. We start the series with a look at an iconic, much-loved British cheese, the UK's most popular cheese, which is, of course, cheddar. It's actually also one of the world's most popular cheeses, and it's made in countries including America, Canada, and Australia. Today we're going to be talking to three notable British cheddar makers, Jamie Montgomery, Mary Quick, and Giles Barber, and to Jason Hines, director of Cheesemonger, Yard Dairy. Cheddar, of course, is a great cooking cheese. So we're also talking to restaurateur, Matthew Carver, who has not just one, but three cheese-centric restaurants in London. So we're going to be talking to Matthew about the joys of cheddar in the kitchen.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
2: So I'm really thrilled to have Jamie Montgomery, cheddar maker, on, on the show. Jamie, it's a very interesting story. His family have been making cheddar on their farm since 1911. So, Jamie Montgomery, in a way, is keeping this tradition, this heritage of British cheddar going. And alongside Jamie, I've also got Jason Hines of Neil's Yard Dairy. Um, J- Neil's Yard Dairy are the cheesemonger who've done a huge amount to actually sort of create and support and promote British farmhouse cheesemakers and cheeses and spread the word. Um, and they have a long relationship. So, thank you both very much for being here with me. Jamie, can we start with you as I think lots of people know cheddar as a cheese they buy in the supermarket and keep in the fridge. But of course, we also have you know, a, a very long and interesting tradition of, of farmhouse cheddar. It's obviously where it started. And I'm very, very fond of your cheddar cheese. Could you tell me tell me about your cheddar and how how you make it on your farm?
3: Yes, um, of course, we have to keep reminding people all the time that uh, that that. All cheddar used to be the way we do it. So we only use our own milk. Uh, we don't heat treat the milk. Uh, we use starter bacteria that were, we can trace the relationships back to the 1950s. So you know, they're the same bacteria that originated in the, in the milk when they were making cheese in those days. We use, um, we use very traditional techniques and uh, and because we're only using our own milk that limits our scale it, it limits how how far and wide we can sell the cheese
2: but how many cheddar and could it tell us the size and it's don't people as quite how it is a large cheese how you know what's the size of one cheddar cheese and how many of those would you make in a week uh
3: well the the cheeses weigh about 24 kilos and and to to sort of get an idea of that that's about 13 inches across the diameter and about 10 inches high 10 to 11 inches high so they're quite a big hefty thing uh and and we at the moment we're making 20 of those a day so it it might sound you know if you were sitting at the table it would seem an enormous amount of cheese but compared to other manufacturers it's absolutely tiny
2: and of course, one of the, and that's a lot of milk to make those cheeses, isn't it? Because just of the, the nature that of cheesemaking, that, you, you know, you're getting rid of, you need the solids, the milk proteins to make the cheese. Is, is that right?
3: Uh, that's absolutely right. It takes uh, it takes about 10 litres of milk to make one kilo of cheese, which is nice and simple to remember. <laughs> um, if, if you've got good cows, you can do slightly better than that. But uh, to make that, to make that much cheese, we're milking about 185 cows.
2: The process of, of cheddar, make, making cheddar, I say one of the stages is called cheddaring, is that right?
3: That's how we create the texture in the cheese. Um, the the distinction between what we would call the crumblies, the uh, particularly Cheshires and, and less so Lancashire, but... Um, but the cheeses that crumble more don't go through this light pressing stage. Uh, just with, you know, while it's acidifying, we, we we don't press it under anything. We just press it under its own weight. But we keep stacking the curd up, and that has the effect of making it smoother when you cut it, so it doesn't break up so much.
2: Yeah, I mean that is that very distinctive cheddar. It technically does hold itself, it? which which makes it a very Great cheese, you know, for slicing and putting in sandwiches and putting on toast, and yeah, exactly that. Um, mm. And and that process, you know, cheddar was never defined legally, was it in Britain? <laughs> so basically, the cheddar cheese making techniques went went around the world, didn't they?
3: The technique just lent itself to mass production so well that they could see ways of being able to, with small tweaks, make it automatically. So it became popular because it was possible to make it cheaply
2: yeah that is really interesting but as i understand it I mean, one of the things that always struck me and i'm going to come on when i talk to jason at New Zealand dairy um we'll be talking about differences in cheddars from the different makers and so it talks it is a cloth wrapped cheese is it, i mean this that's a very sort of characteristic part of of cheddar making is that right
3: ah, it, it, it's just always been the way that we do it um those are the fascinating parts of what what i do because constantly I'm being asked, well, you know, what do you do and why do you do it? And you go, well, you've only got to cast your mind back to the days before plastic. And they're making great big cheeses. The che- we, we try and limit ours to 10 inches high. But back in my grandfather's time, they only had so many molds. And if the cows produced a lot of milk, my belief is, and, and I've seen the molds, and they're, they're much taller than the cheeses that were made. And my belief is that they just put more, more curd in the mould. And so Mm. the diameter would be the same. And so the cheese has just got taller and taller as the, as the cows produce more milk until they go, oh, oh, we're going to have to, oh, we're going to have to make another cheese. And so we've also got examples of the old corsets that they used to put round. So a heavier piece of cloth with eyes down the join which they would stitch up and pull up tight to stop the cheeses from collapsing and and, and, and uh, under their own weight.
2: Ah, how interesting. And that's because they were so tall that they needed was, this extra reinforcing in a way.
3: The physics just couldn't hold it together. And so the concept of of wrapping them in in cloth is has so many good purposes. It 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 it, it makes it able able to 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 produce a big cheese that would otherwise collapse and of course it makes it highly transportable it gives it a protective layer um, it makes it m- a little bit more robust to handling because these are heavy cheeses are easy to drop and so uh, when you're turning them which you do have to do regularly um, there's, there's so many good reasons for putting a cloth on quite apart from the fundamental reason which is so important that the cheese is breathe. I think all the cheddar makers have a slightly different view about how important breathing is for a cheese. But some of the work that we've done and in investigating what happens when when, for instance, you take a cheese and put it in someone else's store for six months, the effect of that on the cheese is astronomical. And, and so I feel that the importance of getting air into the cheese, but not so much air as to get it all blue, is, mm. is crucial.
2: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's one of the very, that is a distinction isn't it, between mass produced factory cheese, which is, uh, you know, bl- block cheddar is, it doesn't have that, that sort of, um, in a way it's drying out, I suppose, the maturing on the time, you know, it's not wrapped in cheesecloth, is it? It's put in, it's made and put in plastic. And mm-hmm. that's it, and that keeps it. So obviously, yeah. it's a much, in a way, it's a much wetter product, and a funny. So you can sort of see that actually. And one of the things that always strikes me when I eat a piece of your cheese, Jamie, is is the level of savouriness um, to it, you know, and it's quite noticeably dry. I would say, pretty drier than the other farmhouse cheddars I know. Is that a particular well, style <laughs> that you go for yourself?
3: You're led by uh, your own senses, in in, in my view. Uh, it's just that when I look at our cheese and you know, doing monthly gradings, it's the drier cheeses that have the better flavors. And so there's, there's the economic advantage for the, for the industrials is to sell as much water as possible. That's, that's you know, always been the case. The, the wetter you can make the cheese and sell it well, the, the, the more money you're making. But I have to go in the other direction because the better cheeses are, are the slightly drier ones so I'm not, I'm not selling as much water, but I'm hopefully selling a better cheese.
2: Well, it is cheese I'm very fond of, and Jason, this seems a very timely moment to bring you in and Neals Yard Dairy, um, because obviously you've, you know, as a business, Neals Yard have had a long relationship um, with Montgomerys. And um, tell me, one of the things that's really interesting that is actually is that you export cheese, Neals Yard Dairy export cheese. And could you tell me about the response that you find to to Montgomery's cheddar when you take it abroad, you know, to America or perhaps to France? Perhaps talk us through that.
0: Well, uh, Jamie talked about the wetter cheeses um, uh, being the ones that, you know, people aspire to make um, because they make more money. And um, certainly when... We've, you know, we've we've um, developed export markets, and our two primary export markets are the USA, um, and then slightly more recently, about twenty-five years ago, we started exporting to France. So those are our principal export markets. In a way, it was, and America in particular is a market which uh, is ruled by industrial cheddar um of the type that we just that Jamie just described, the sort of the wetter variety that's in plastic or wax. And and we and I found that well we found that when we started exporting to both of those markets and, and Montgomery's is the cheddar that we sell by far the most of in, in each of those respective markets.
2: Wonderful. And I wanted to ask about you know, because I got the two of you together, um, so Neils Yard Dairy, one of the things that you do, which I perhaps people don't realise, is that a lot of your work behind the scenes is Visiting the farmers to choose the cheeses that you're going to stock in your shops, mm. and Jason, I know there's a long. I mean, it was Randolph Hodgson who presumably first started going to um, to your farm, Jamie, to to visit and choose cheeses. Is that right?
3: Indeed, when when he first started coming to Somerset, um, the cheese wasn't matured at its uh, on the farm to its uh, full age. And so we had we were working with a cooperative agent, who he would then go on to to, to but on his way there he would drop into the farm, and talk to the cheesemakers, which which was sort of pretty unheard of in those days. And in, as is the way with cheesemaking, you'd be chatting in the office, and then you've got to go away and, and, and just test something, or or so cheesemaker would disappear out of the office for a minute. Randolph would sidle over to the makebook and flick the pages back to the month that he would be looking at in the agent's store, so he would be armed with information that the agent couldn't possibly know, <laughs> and that helped him enormously in, 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 in picking good cheeses.
2: That seemed, in fact, one of the things. Could you explain the story of the different? the different days of the cheese making because um, you know I mean it's a slightly complicated story to explain isn't it but basically you're using different bacterial culture I'm sure you can explain this better than me Jamie but if you could explain that story that there, there are different you know even the Montgomery cheddar you're making the cheese on your farm from your own milk but the different days makes uh, have got different elements to them
3: absolutely right um, in order for us to, uh, to to keep track of things, we happen to use seven different strains of bacteria. Um, basically, in this time of COVID and, and viruses, um, people understand that, that viruses can be a bad thing. And so bacteria, uh, strangely, can also suffer from virus. And if, you, if we keep using the same strain of, of bacteria, it, the virus will eventually kill it. And so it's good to rotate the, the strains.
2: And these are and the bacterial starter cultures. Just to explain, the, put that in context. This is the starter culture you're putting into the at the beginning of the cheddar making process.
3: Exactly, exactly. And so they, they, in, in broad cheese making terms, their role is to provide the acidity to preserve the milk, preserve the cheese. But because these bacteria were gathered from farmhouse cheesemakers in the 1950s and. and beyond there's a complexity to the cultures which also helps us to to um, come up with complex flavors and I am I have to be very careful about which uh, strains of, of starter we use and I form relationships with them and and I come to sort of trust them in, in ways which if they are behaving in the way I expect them to behave uh, then all's well in the world if they start behaving like each other then then or or there's a flat line and there's nothing coming from any of them then things are going wrong um, doesn't mean to say we're making bad cheese but things that the family is, is not happy Um <laughs>
2: I think I heard you talk about one of your cheeses like being like the child you hadn't learned to play the piano, but then suddenly could, you know, it was a very sort of affectionate mm. paternalistic <laughs> term that you used. So, so you also, so, feel, I mean, that's, yes, that, that closeness of relationship, you know, that you're working with these cheeses over a huge amount of time, aren't you, Jamie? I mean, how, how long did the cheeses stay on your farm for?
3: So, uh, yeah, 12 months is a sort of basic minimum, really, uh, a lot of the cheese um, would be sort of, sort of 17, 18 months old by, when it's
2: sold. So, and Jason, to go to Neil's Yard. So Neil's Yard Dairy, you know, as a cheesemonger selling cheese, you, you are looking presumably for, for styles of, of cheddar. Are you choosing them for, for different markets?
0: Yeah, I, to go back a stage, you meant, yeah, so Randolph, as Jamie suggested, has uh, been going up or started going up to the farm to visit you know to visit regularly and un- visit the cheesemakers and then go and do the grading off-site and then since I think I think it was the mid to, the, the mid to late 90s that the cheeses were stored on site <clears throat> that we then visited and did the gradings on the farm itself um, and um, from that point on uh, when there was a you know more dialogue and more understanding and a greater connection with the selection process because we were doing it with jamie and i joined randolph on those uh have joined randolph on, on those early trips and we still we still get together um well, up to the covid period every month to do a grading grade a month at mm. a time we've come to understand um that with the with the diversity the great diversity that exists within jamie's stock not just because of you know there's the usual things that people understand create diversity of flavor in cheese that um are you know easy things to ascribe to that uh, to to, to cause that diversity there's you know people talk a lot about seasonality and, and absolutely that 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 can cause uh you know a difference from one period to another but but um uh you know there are other things too and and certainly um, that the 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 starters create, you know, the, 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 there are seven different characters in every week. So you have this amazing diversity, which it which is much more um, granular um, uh, within this within the course of a week than than you might get even from one season to another. And so, um, with that diversity, we can't just pick one strain or one type of cheese for Niels Yard Dairy have one profile because. There's too much diversity within Jamie's stock to be able to do that, and they're always changing anyway. But by and large, in order to be able to get the quantity of cheese that we need, we've had to to try to to listen to our customers in different markets and understand what kind of profile they might like, um, and then go and find that uh, in sufficient numbers within the stock that Jamie might have. So yeah, and, and also over the course of time, uh, you know, the, the cheese has changed as well. So uh, the, the, the style of cheese that we might be looking for, for our shops or for a particular market in the late 90s, um, even with the same starter cultures, with the same bacteria um, that, that, that um, start the cheese, uh, they have changed over the course of time as well. So so it's, it's, it's very interesting looking back over one's notes over the course of the years uh, and seeing, you know, which there are periods when certain starters have been working really well um, uh, to produce a particular style of cheese. And, and then and then others come to the fore. So the, the landscape's always changing, which which A, keeps it, makes it very interesting. Uh, but B means you really, you know, and Jamie will know, will feel this more than, than than I think we do. But you need you know, you do need to be on your toes all the time.
2: I was just thinking that keeps you on your toes. That's Mm, exactly the phrase. Yeah. Mm. I think that's wonderful. Been really lovely. Um, Thank you both so much for your time. Uh, Thank you. Um, Thank you very much indeed. I'm a huge fan of Peters Yard's crackers and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peters Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop. Enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive twenty five percent of your first order. Well, Mary Quick has got a very special part to play in the world of cheese. She's a very seminal figure um, with an MBE, and her, it's an interesting story again because Mary is also preserving this heritage side of cheddar making in Britain uh, on on their farm in Devon which has been farmed by a family for generations. But the the cheesemaking is a more recent aspect, and that's something we're going to find out about when we talk to Mary. Mary, welcome to A a Slice of Cheese. It's very lovely to have you on the programme. Um, And and your family has got a long connection to to Cheddar. Um, I wanted to ask you about the sort of history of Cheddar, which is very much a West Country tradition, as I understand it.
4: Yeah, well, of course, Cheddar Gorge sits in Somerset, and i think that was the style of cheese certainly that was being made around us uh in my childhood we were one of those farms that had come out of cheese making uh you know in the thir- 20s or 30s uh, at, and we came back in after you know, the extraordinary experience of national cheese. We came back into cheddar making in the Just 1970s. Can we just
2: explain? Ah, oh, that's so interesting. So you mentioned their national cheese. Do you want to just explain that? Because that's the wartime that had a massive impact, didn't it? World War Two. Tell us about that, Mary.
4: Well, I guess it, I mean, it, it, uh, uh, it starts with the milk marketing board. You know, my father went into cheese making because his father was told by the milk buyer of Exeter in the 1920s. Don't want your milk today, Mr. Quigg. Uh, and of course the milk sat in churns and just had to be thrown away. And uh, so two things happened. One is because that was happening on a national scale, a milk marketing board was formed, which, which over time bought all the milk from the farmers and sold all the milk products to everybody else. But also my father decided that he wanted when he was older. He wanted to be making a product that somebody wanted to buy, and it was up to him to sell it. He didn't have to wait for the milk buyer exeter say so as to whether he had a business or not. You asked about national cheese. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, national cheese was then what followed on from that consolidation into the into the milk marketing board of government control, because during both wars, but particularly in the Second War we were really stuck for food, you know, we were surrounded by um, new boats and, uh, you know, low food, uh, you know, low amount of food that the country produced for itself, and the only way that we fed ourselves was that the whole of the food production system was controlled by government. And the impact on dairy farming, partly because it was controlled by the milk marketing board, is that the only cheese that was permitted to be made, was national cheese uh, and uh, which was a sort of young sub-cheddar on the grounds really that if you're trying to feed a population it's much better if people drink the liquid milk you know so that you don't have whey produced and so on um, mm. uh, so people get the, the nutrients but you have a small amount of cheese that's produced by some selective producers which is about you know as I said, a very young sub-cheddar. And that was how we came out of the war. Uh, and after the war, the Milk Marketing Board licensed particular cheesemakers, or individual cheesemakers, you had to go for a license um, to make cheddar and the, the classic territorial cheeses of Britain, you know, Stilton, Lancashire, Gloucester, west Leicester, Carefully, the rest of them. And those were the ones that were, as it were, authorised to be made. And if you wanted to make anything else, you you're, you had to buy milk from the milk marketing board, even if it was your own milk, and that milk cost a lot more.
2: Gosh, that must have been that's hard, isn't it? Yeah, fascinating. And so it was in the seventies that your father decided to go into cheddar making. Is that right? So, I mean, I know historically there had been cheddar made cheese made on the farm. You know, you've got a very long family history, haven't you?
4: Tell us about that, that. tell that, us about that, your sure father's it.
2: decision then, say.
4: So. Well, we, we've got pictures of people making cheese on the farm in the 1920s, 1930s, but uh, along with many others, we stopped. But uh, uh, my mother and father pitched for a license to make cheese. About five or six years later, it's that license came through. That's the <laughs> that sort of... And um, at that point, my father was doing agricultural politics, so he couldn't do it. So my mother, although she was in the process of raising six kids, um, she she had had the training as an art student, uh, and her teachers had told her, this is the training to do anything. So she thought, well, fine, I can can build a cheese dairy, I can start (laughs) making cheese, no problem. And so that's what she did, and we started making traditional cheddar cheese in 1973, everybody around said, oh, why are you making this potty little traditional cheddar, cloth-bound, cylindrical, handmade stuff? You want to go into the modern stuff which, you know, the modern proper cheddar, which is block cheddar made in a plastic bag, and then you'll be able to make a lot more, and it will all be fine. So we just, but my mother said, well, I think we'll we'll hang around and we'll learn what we're doing and, and, and see see what should we should you know, what we should be making. So I you know, I from that time was I think really committed to high quality, you know, high well, that vision of my father's high quality food that people wanted to buy made with milk from our farm.
2: Wonderful. It takes a lot of knowledge, doesn't it, to make cheese and it's how do you get hold of that knowledge and learning from someone who knows it I mean the experience um of cheese making which can't really be easily replicated and how you know how does it get passed on yes in fact perhaps it'd be, I think it'd be really useful Mary if you talked talk us through it'd be so interesting to hear how cheddar is made because you know it's I think cheese is one of those foods where you know we buy it and we have no sense of the work that goes into it tell us how you know how a traditional cheddar a handmade cheddar is made so. What so the milk is from your from your own dairy?
4: Milk is from our cows, and so it starts a long way before because we bred the exactly the right cows, the right crossbreed to who will uh, both have the right fat and protein shape of fat and protein in the milk, and who are happy grazing because we love to have milk for our cheese that comes from grazed grass. the 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 resulting milk and cheese is very luscious and, and um, has this lovely um, golden colour. Um, and also, then growing the grass, getting, getting the right pastures in front of the cows, you know, with nice, um, you know, lovely swords that are um, uh, sequestering carbon. Um, so, uh, and the cows get milked twice a day, uh, and we've got two herds. The one that carbs in the spring and the other that carbs in the autumn, and we mix the two milk so that we've got an even split of early and late lactation milk through mm. so yeah, the year. All of those things matter. And then, so there we are, we've got the milk in the cheese day. We do pasteurize, we have made unpasteurised uh, raw milk in the past, raw milk cheese in the past, but unfortunately, you know, we're in a TB. Area so that you need to the yeah. And um, so you bring the milk out of the pasteuriser and it's warm because um, all cheese making processes happen at kind of body temperature. And uh, we add our starters, um, which are uh, the bacterial cultures. Now, our starters were collected from the best cheese dairies. In the southwest of England in the 1960s and the 1970s, and they were originally from the natural souring of the milk. So they're you know beautiful, gorgeous, sort of uncharacterizable range of microorganisms which uh, um, uh, which give a complexity of flavour. And the core purpose of those starters is to turn the lactose in the milk into lactic acid, and because that's the core preservation of of Cheese, mm-hmm. um, and then because you've got all those lovely microorganisms, they leave leave a beautiful enzymatic trace that gives lovely complexity of flavour in the cheese as it comes to mature. The, so that those uh, starters, we add those starters which look like yogurt, um, we uh, put those into the milk. The milk acidifies, uh, starts to acidify, and then we add rennet. And rennet's a really difficult thing for cheesemakers because it's either from uh, carved stomachs or um, microbial rennet uh, which is uh, neither an- not animal uh, but not um, um, fermentation derived um, but that tends to create a, a slightly bitter trace in the, mm-hmm. in the cheese or you have these these uh, these rennets which are fermentation derived which is in origin from gene technology even though there aren't some genetically modified organisms but so we we use the animal rennet largely because that's the
2: one that uh, you know that's the traditional version. Yes, and the rennet is that's to curdle the milk. Is that right? That's the effect of the. That's why well, you're yeah. adding the rennet. Is that? we yes, we're yeah. adding
4: the rennet. I don't know how nerdy you want me to go. <laughs>
2: but, but, it's for but, the general public, but it's sort of I'm sort of fascinated about <laughs> you. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't get too nerdy, but tell me, tell me yeah. what you're going to say. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, protein. Uh, The protein in the milk is a bit like a magnet, it's got a plus and a minus on it, and milk is liquid because you've got a minus and a minus, and so it repels, you know, that's what keeps the milk liquid. And what the rennet does is it chops the uh, milk casing, up, so you've got a plus and a minus, so then it suddenly wants to grip together. That's oh, a wonderful I description,
2: Mary. Thank you. I love that. So, that's great. Um, yeah, it's like digging a little bit deeper. Good. So you've got. In fact, yeah. I think I think OCB people never realise quite how much milk is needed to make the cheese, isn't it? Because you're basically you're still sort of trying to get the all the proteins, aren't you? You're separating the solids or the the proteins out from the well, liquid. What,
4: so. what, what what the the core thing that you're doing with cheese making? Because of course it was to, about um, uh, um, taking summer milk. Into, to feed you into the winter, you know, mm. it, you know, as liquid milk it won't. So the core cool thing that you're doing in cheesemaking, as well as acidifying it, is also removing that moisture, so that you're left with, you know, in a cheddar cheese, a, you know, about equal amounts of protein, um, fat, and moisture. So, uh, 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 and that then, that, that then, is, uh, and if that's um, got some acidity in it. And obviously a bit of salt to stop it going too bitter. Then you've got something that will last from from summer to winter and for much longer than a, a, a hard cheese like cheddar. So we so you've got your lovely junket. So mm-hmm. it looks like liquid milk, but it's wobbly. So a bit like it looks like a bit like a panna cotta, only it's made from the natural <laughs> protein in the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, this junket, which I was brought up with as a child, you know, but if you're uh, younger than a certain age you won't have ever, ever tasted tasted taste which is a very sad thing and then, i love junket; it's,
2: it's delicious mm. like texture is lovely isn't it yeah
4: yeah so that very, it's a very soft jelly and uh when you see so when you've got a set then you cut the curd and that cutting of the curd is really important so if you're making a soft cheese you would you would cut the curd and you would then label that carefully into your moulds and let it set under its own weight. So you would have a cheese that's quite soft. But and if you're uh, have a making a cheddar where you want it to age on for a long time, you cut it much smaller. Maybe a bit like the well, the guidance for cheesemakers is the moon on your thumbnail. You cut mm. it to about that size, and you, with knives, um, you cut backwards and forwards, and we 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 cut and let the the curd heal and we cut and let the curd heal that's a little thing that we do on the farm Mm. you know to to have the perfect amount of moisture because the amount of moisture that's in the final cheese determines how long the cheese will age for right we want our cheese to age on for a long time with nice rich flavors not just not just mad acidity
2: i mean this seems a very moment to talk about the flavor wheel that you've come up with your sort of flavor mapping um i'm like I, you make an, i know you make a number of of cheddars T- tell me how you know tell me about the flavor map and what you've this sort of project you yes which is actually very interesting insight into how how the flavor of cheese develops as, as i understand it yeah well
4: there are two uh, there are there are two ways of looking at the flavor of a traditional cheddar because what you have got is this tremendous these layers of complexity, and the first of those layers of complexity arises from the differential flavors that are in the nose of the cheese, at the heart of the cheese, to halfway back to under the rind, and that's driven by in part by the moisture that it's losing. So you get that sort of no no a nose to rind differential flavor, which I love too. Over the top of that, you've got this sense of the way all of these traditional artisan foods, handmade foods, at one of the characteristics that they've got is that the flavours unfold. The flavours, if you like, unfold with almost a reflection of the amount of time and care and intention and attention that human beings have given it. And what mm. that sh- shows up is as the way that the flavours unfold at different times uh, on, on your palate. And, and unfold at different times depending on the underlying flavour of the cheese and how long you've matured it for. So one of our selections, we, we grade our cheese, we stick out a cheese iron, uh, they call it in America a trier, that takes out a core of cheese um, and, we do, uh, and we taste it and we grade it and we assess, you know, how we made it and what, what, who should we sell this cheese to. And at three months old, we select out what we call our buttery uh, slice, our buttery selection of cheese. And then when we look at which, because it's got a sort of intense buttery flavour, but then when we started to uh, um, actually look at it on this flavour mapping exercise, the initial flavour that we had, that you have in your mouth, is fresh milk.
2: Well, Mary, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a wonderful speaker so i've never i mean it's funny i've never had the ch- you know i've been writing my food for 30 years now and i've not spoken to you but um i knew it was going to be a joy when i did Take thank care, you guys. so much bye 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 bye
0: online on smart speakers and on listen again this is food fm savour the crunch of peter's yard sourdough crackers available at waitrose sainsbury's ocado
5: amazon peter's com. And specialist food retailers.
2: I think the chances are quite high that you may well have eaten some of Barber's cheddar cheese without knowing it came from Barber's because Barber's um, are one of our big cheddar makers in the UK and they do they supply a lot of cheese um, to food services so it's, it's used in sandwiches things that we you know the snacks those tasty snacks that we buy for lunch. Hello Giles very lovely to have you on the show and I'm sort of fascinated by the story of Barber's which I understand is the world's oldest surviving cheddar maker, is that right?
5: Hi Jenny, uh, good morning. And, uh, yes, uh, that's quite correct. Uh, so Barber's uh, is a family business that's been, uh, I'm the seventh generation, uh, or one of the seventh generation of the family, who've been making cheese uh, in Ditchett, Somerset, which is only about 15 miles from the village of Cheddar itself since 1833.
2: That is quite impressive, isn't it? And, obviously, and Somerset is where... Cheddar, you know, has got its origins, isn't it?
5: Yeah, th- obviously the village of uh, Cheddar has given its name uh, to the cheese, uh, and it, it's been made uh, in this region for far longer than we've been in existence. Uh, we are the longest uh, continuous uh, cheese-making business uh, that's still making cheddar today. So uh, nobody's been, nobody still doing it today, has been doing it any longer than we have. Um, uh, but the whole region uh, around here was full of, of cheddar cheese makers. Even fifty or sixty years ago, uh, there was a, over a hundred in the southwest of England.
2: Yeah, there's been a real. I mean, the story of British cheese is one of, you know, of great and then a very a decline, really, isn't it? You know, with the world wars in the 20th century and then a sort of revival. I mean, it's interesting that cheddar has always has survived and prospered, hasn't it? Is that because cheddar has lent itself to to, to sort of more mechanised um, you know, processes of making.
5: Yeah, I, I, th- I think versatility is probably the key to cheddar's survival in the sense that uh, it, it can uh, and is used in so many different ways. Uh, and that's part of the joy of, of cheddar, I think, is that uh, it can be you know, amongst the finest table cheeses you'll ever try anywhere in the world. But equally, you know, it's at home uh, in a in a sandwich uh, to be enjoyed like that, or in cooking. So I would say probably versatility more than the the mechanisation is the, is the key to sort of cheddar's success, being able to being able to sort of adapt uh, the process of making and make the product more accessible to to people, uh, certainly from a price perspective, through mechanisation and efficiency is is gonna help too.
2: That's so interesting, I was looking at your website and I was fascinated to learn that there was a specific Somerset cow, was it the Somerset cheated cow? That was the dairy cow of the region.
5: Yes, well, uh, there, it was a multi-purpose cow, actually, and, and in, in years gone by, people would have uh, had uh, herds of cows that were not necessarily dedicated to sort of dairy, but uh, would have been a, a good all-round uh, cow that would have uh, been used you know, throughout its life in a, in a, in a sort of efficient way. Um, so the Somerset Sheeted Cow actually came... Uh, originated uh, from the Netherlands uh, and it was bought in by Dutch traders um, uh, uh, over two centuries ago, uh, maybe even three centuries, I think, up the Bristol Channel and uh, it suited the climate and the grazing conditions uh, of Somerset. So uh, it actually became a, a sort of pedigree uh, breed in its own right, uh, having been sort of adopted, if you like, by, uh, by the Somerset uh, folk. Uh, and many farms around here would have featured somerset sheeted cows uh, up until the early 1900s uh, the actual last recorded uh, somerset sheeted cow was uh, 1936 uh, so unfortunately the breed doesn't exist any longer and mm. farming uh, practices change uh, different breeds come in uh, and that's a little bit the history of of cheddar i think people will have a very Sort of set idea that, that cows have always been black and white, and and that's what where the cheese comes from. But uh, it, the history of of sort of dairy cows is a lot richer than that.
2: And the sheeted is because of its appearance. Is that such an unusual name? What what yeah, is that like? It,
5: yeah, it is. It's 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 uh if you imagine a, a, a sort of a, a white sheet, uh, sort of going round the centre of the cow's body, uh, like a belt. Some people will hmm. be familiar with belted Galloway cows. Uh, and it's, it's a similar sort of concept to that. There's a single white sort of sheet sort of wrapped around the, uh, the belly of the cow, if you like. Uh, and it, um, it's an incredible cow to see. And um, we've, actually, we've actually tried to replicate what the, uh, the Dutch settlers did ourselves and bring back. Uh, some Somerset sheeted cows in the form of the, the nearest Dutch uh, equivalent that they hail from, which is known as a lakenvelder cow.
2: Mm. What do you use for, for cheese making, for cheddar making? Uh,
5: yeah, we, we, it, to be fair, it's very much uh, a, a project uh, that to, to look at the viability of, of bringing that cow back into circulation within our herds um it's it's a different uh, sort of cow it's, a lot, it's quite a lot smaller actually than uh, than the traditional black and white cows that you'll see around uh, so it's very much work in progress but we, we you can come come to our uh, our farm and and see a modern Somerset sheeted cow if you like
2: what a great idea I love that I mean that's a sort of fascinating story you know the fact you've got such a long family history um, linked you know with this cheese it's, it's fascinating and one of the things which really struck me giles and in fact the fact that you talked about how versatile cheddar is and it seems to me that your business is actually very innovative do you want to tell us a little bit about how you know what bar the cheese making side of of barbers and and who you supply and how it works
5: yes well we have sort of uh innovated over the years so and there's always a balance between trying to retain the sort of traditions uh and and the traditional qualities of the product Uh, but continue to make it as relevant as possible to uh, today's uh, consumers. So the business has uh, grown over the years. We very much kind of lock ourselves into a a methodology of making the cheese that's uh, part of the protected designation of origin. So uh, we make it uh, it to a certain process uh, and uh, with only milk from the region, uh, a lot of which comes from our own farms. But within the scope of, of the protected designation of origin, we've, uh, we've been able to improve the efficiency of the process of making cheese, and also the consistency of it uh, by adopting modern technology. Uh, so today's cheese dairy looks very different to the cheese dairy of sort of 50 to 100 years ago, but the methodology of making the cheese is, is almost identical. So somebody who walked in from 100 years ago would, would be able to follow the process Exactly as they remember it, uh, but it is it has been mechanised uh, to make it more efficient. Enables us to hopefully produce a more consistent product too, uh, and make it more accessible to more people, uh, and bring a sort of a, a product with sort of true heritage and provenance uh, to a wider audience.
2: That's a that really interesting balancing act, isn't there? Am um, I, as I'm saying, some of a lot of your cheese goes to food services. Is that is that right?
5: Yeah, we, we, uh, we have a range of, of sort of markets. Uh, I mean, uh, up to nearly a quarter of our, our cheese uh, is exported around the world to premium markets, which would tend to be uh, retail uh, based. So people buying from uh, retailers uh, in countries anywhere from uh, Australia to, uh, to Canada to China. Uh, so that would be the sort of core of our business. But where, where we supply some of the younger cheeses, so we'd concentrate in the retail uh, markets of cheeses that would be 12 months to 24 months of age, so really uh, flavor-driven uh, products. But uh, at the slightly sort of, uh, younger end of the market, uh, there's a demand uh, for our cheese uh, in anything from sandwiches uh, made by sandwich manufacturers, through to really high quality uh, convenience food uh, which requires the delivery of sort of flavour uh, and, and ingredients of integrity uh, and that's been a really big sort of growth area for us uh, in the last sort of 10 to 15 years.
2: Just one last thing I was interested, Cheddar's capacity to age, how, how old is your oldest Cheddar?
5: Well we, we've we aged up to uh, three years old, uh, habitually we're not selling, uh, it, it gets as, as you imagine, it, it, is, it constantly keeps evolving. So uh, trying to sort of balance the, the sort of peak uh, and of, of sort of age versus the, the risk, I guess, because the longer you keep it, the, the riskier it becomes that, that actually the, the flavour starts going wrong. Mm-hmm. uh so if you're not uh if you're not fully in control of that sort of process uh and what's going on in the cheese yeah, you know, it can it can be difficult our uh, sort of uh regular selling uh, best uh, aged product is 2 years old a sort of minimum of 2 years old that's our barber's 1833 vintage reserve cheddar now i'd say 15 years ago that probably was a really new idea to take uh, cheese from habitually would have been 12 to 18 months old as a maximum uh, for cheddar, um, up to two years plus. Um, but we've really seen that the traditional starter cultures really exhibit their differences uh, as the cheese ages further. So in a young cheese, it's it's less easy to tell, but uh, uh, as the cheese ages, um, the traditional starter cultures really showcase themselves uh in a way that uh, we never really knew 20 years ago because we were only selling cheese from 12 to 18 months of age but uh so yeah two years old uh, would be my idea of of the, the sort of the top quality point of our cheese
2: brilliant it's fascinating isn't it because i think people tend to sort of mythologize time and think oh the older the better but actually even parmesan will you know it can be better younger because actually you've got a sweetness and to the cheese haven't you you know there's like you want you want the flavor you want the savouriness that age brings time brings but you don't want it to deteriorate
5: yeah comes to a point where it will it will eventually (laughs) deteriorate and time and temperature together are are what counts so uh, if you if you more or less sort of uh, you can more or less stop the cheese developing if you bring the temperature down to one degree say for example um, oh, uh, but if you increase the temperature, then the cheese will keep for less time. So we, we age at what we would consider to be the optimum for traditional cheddar, which is the same temperature as the caves uh, in Cheddar Gorge where, where it all started. Uh, so we're around about 11 or 12 degrees centigrade.
2: It's a wonderful story. I mean, you know, you linked to the landscape in so many ways. Well, thank you, Giles. That was really fascinating to talk to you.
0: Thanks, Jenny. Nice to speak to you. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado,
5: Amazon, Petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers.
2: I love Matthew Carver's story. It's, um, as you hear, he's someone who sort of fell in love with cheese, um, and he's now got three cheese-centric restaurants, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, The Cheese Bar in Camden, Pick and Cheese, which is in Covent Garden, which is a sort of a really, it's like Yo! Sushi for cheese lovers, basically, which I think is a great concept. And then very excitingly, a new restaurant called The Cheese Barge in Paddington. Matthew, welcome to A Slice of Cheese. Now, Matthew, I know that you have cheese restaurants, so I really want to hear about them. Tell me, in fact, I was really interested why you decided to have cheese restaurants specifically so perhaps we start there and then you can tell me about about the restaurants they're also very interesting
1: yeah sure so the idea originally was not to have restaurants or or the first idea wasn't about restaurants but it was more about um street food and uh so when we started seven years ago now street food was just sort of becoming a thing in london and i i wanted to get involved. Um, I I had a bit of an interest in food. I wouldn't say like I was destined to become a chef or destined to work in food, but I did really like food. Um, And I thought it was quite an interesting way to start a business. Um, And so, I originally went on a little trip to the States um, to do some research into street food over there and food trucks and see what was popular. And a, a big thing that kept coming up was um, grilled cheese sandwiches. You know, in, in America, they're, they're crazy for grilled cheese sandwiches. And I came back to the UK and didn't find the same... Um, the same amount of people doing them or the same interest in them so I thought it was quite an interesting thing to do um and as part of the process of perfecting the perfect grilled cheese sandwich obviously the main component is cheese (laughs) and so did quite a lot of research I actually went to a place in America called um Mission cheese which is recently closed down but used to be in San Francisco and they championed um, American artisan cheese. And I think I found that quite interesting because before I went to Mission Cheese, I had the assumption, like I think a lot of people did, that most of the cheese they made in America was pretty rubbish um, and generally just plastic cheese slices. And so I, I think when I came home, I similarly wanted to find out more about the cheeses that we make in the UK and more. find out more about small producer British cheeses. And do research, I, I, I found that lots of my friends um, at the time, and kind of, of a similar age of me, didn't really know that much about British cheese. They knew more about European cheeses or they could reel off 20 different European cheeses. But if I asked them to mention a, a few British cheeses, probably cheddar and Stilton, was as far as they got sometimes and i I found the kind of places that sold those really great british cheeses were all very similar you know so you you could get your neil's yards your paxton's you're really good like cheese shops but in terms of more like relaxed or um, informal places selling the same great british cheeses there just wasn't an awful lot of options um and so i thought the kind of idea of a grilled cheese sandwich that was you know at an accessible price point five or six pounds and served you know in a field in somerset i i I quite like the idea of that i thought it was a really interesting way to get people to engage to engage with british cheese um and i think at the time you know if if i thought back to my friends in their mid-20s they were less likely to go to chenille's yard and spend 30 or 40 quid on cheese um, but if they had a really great grilled cheese sandwich at a music festival, and that got them to ask a question about where this cheese comes from, or 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 even just spark their interest in knowing that oh, like a, a British mozzarella, I didn't know that we made mozzarella in in Britain, or you know, could could to could grab someone's interest in the produce that way. I thought that was really interesting, and so that was. That was how it started our, our idea was we would just champion british cheese um and i suppose it, it started as like a as like a, a thing that we thought was quite interesting um and then the more we got into british cheese the more enjoyable we found it and and i think it's good to challenge yourself you know like especially with the restaurants quite often there's lots of dishes and stuff that we want to. We want to make or or have at the restaurant but we are limited by the cheeses that we can get from the uk you know so if if we have a chef who who wants to make something that has parmesan in it or telaggio he can't just go and buy parmesan or telaggio he has to speak to our cheesemonger sam and and find out what cheeses we make that could be a replacement for that so i think that's always good that it it, it kind of pushes creativity a lot more
2: that's really interesting and obviously Cheddar is such a wonderful cooking cheese. So, I'm guessing that that features a lot in your restaurants and on your menus. Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, cheddar, when we had the trucks, we, you know, when we started, we, we did four grilled cheese sandwiches um, and that was it. We did a, a cheddar one with, uh, when we first started, it was Keens cheddar. And then we recently changed to Quick's cheddar. And so, it's cheddar and um, Ogle Shield. That was kind of like our classic um and and you know it used to sell infinitely more than any other sandwich we ever did in terms of a grilled cheese i think it's it's so versatile as well you know like a a cheddar and bacon grilled cheese in the morning is like the perfect hangover cure you know like i think people just have this natural love affair with cheddar um and especially really good cheddar
2: and so i notice I'm guessing, you know, you've got macaroni cheese, haven't you? Five cheese macaroni that has cheddar as as one of your mainstays in it. Yeah, it does.
1: So we have quite quite a few dishes with cheddar in. So the um, the five cheese macaroni cheddar is one of the key cheeses in that. Um, It's also got uh, so it's like cheddar and Lincolnshire poacher uh, that we use in the bechamel. And then we put um, mozzarella in it. Uh, And we put a bit of old Winchester on top as well. Um, But cheddar, cheddar, yeah, always forms the basis of quite a lot of um, dishes, I think as well. Yeah, I think it's just a real staple that the the chefs love to use um, and then add different cheeses onto it. You see quite often they will use cheddar and then add mozzarella to give it a bit of stringiness or yeah, add different cheeses to bring different flavours to the dish.
2: So it's almost like a building block in the kitchen in a way, isn't it? It's such a, you know, it's a very flexible cheese. My my English father lives in Italy. He's lived there for decades now. And what he misses is cheddar. I mean, Chad's got lots of wonderful cheeses, but they don't have cheese like cheddar. It's quite interesting. And cheddar is such a great, you know, cauliflower cheese, mac and cheese. It's this a sort of friend in the kitchen, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I think it's it seems to always be the thing that chefs go for as well. I don't know if that's like... You know, I imagine a lot of in a lot of kitchens when they don't have as many cheeses to play from or to, to use from cheddar is is always there, especially in British kitchens. And I think it's that cheese that everyone has in their Everyone has in their fridge, you know, like it doesn't matter what time of year it is. I go to my fridge and I have a a big block of cheddar in. And so quite often, you know, it's just if you want something to go with your dinner, you will use cheddar. Um...
2: You know, for cheese, cheese on taste. you know, which is a great. Which I love as a sort of savoury breakfast, and yeah, and cheddar is a just it it is it is a really flexible cheese, isn't it in that way? Um, And tell us a bit more about the restaurants, Matthew, because we it would be nice to hear you. So to start, so the cheese bar was your first restaurant, is that right?
1: Yeah. So we um, carried on messing about in in uh, in various fields around the country with our trucks for about three years, Um, and then kind of got uh got a little bit fed up of sleeping in tents all summer um and also wanted an opportunity to expand uh like our menu offering so with the trucks we did four grilled cheese sandwiches we worked with four cheese makers, and we did that for three years um and sold lots and lots of those four cheeses but always wanted to be able to push push a bit more creatively on what we did so we decided that we would open a restaurant um and got offered a site in Camden Market uh to open our first restaurant, which we opened three years ago. Um called the Cheese Bar. And I suppose the Cheese Bar in Camden is is um it's very much like a natural progression to what we did on the truck. So it's very like comfort food, um quite like indulgent cheese dishes, and lots so of like kind of classic. Classic cheese dishes. So we, you know, depending on the season, we do things like raclette, fondue, uh, macaroni cheese, um, mozzarella sticks. It's it's quite like indulgent, um, indulgent comfort food, but done like really really well. Uh, obviously, like our big thing is about is British cheese, but also um, with everything else, you know, charcuterie, meat, veg everything is is sourced from within the uk and and everything as season as seasonal as it can be um so camden opened three years ago and was really popular since day one um it kind of got billed or picked up as by press as the only cheese focused restaurant in london which i don't know if that's entirely true but people seem to really really like that idea of a completely cheese focused restaurant and i think it took it took us quite a while to work out you know if you have a whole menu where every dish has a the predominant ingredient as cheese it, it takes quite a while to work out you know how you balance that and and what people want um and i think camden became this restaurant that we're really lucky that it got loads of um loads of press and stuff from around the world and being in Camden Market we get lots and lots of tourists and lots of lots of repeat um, customers and it's, it's very much like a destination restaurant people come you know for their birthday year in year out or they if they're coming over from the states they come every time they visit London and that's that's really nice and I think it also enables you to to have a menu that doesn't the menu in Camden doesn't really change massively, you know, like 60 or 70 percent of the dishes that are on the menu now are the same when we opened the doors three years ago. Um, and so after doing that for, for three years, we one thing we don't really do in Camden is we don't really do cheese boards or like cheese in its, in its um, kind of like natural state. And I think part of that was like when we opened Camden, I wanted it to be about hot food and cooking with cheese um and i th- i thought you know if you want to go and have a cheese board and some wine there's loads of good places in london go and, and enjoy it there and then i think as i got more you know through the three years when we had camden uh or the, the first couple of years we had camden i got really 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 like into cheese more so than i think i did when we had the trucks and started you know becoming more involved in british cheese and judging at the world cheese awards and and um really wanted to have like a like a cheese, a cheese and wine bar or a cheese and wine restaurant where we just had cheese in its natural form.
2: Um, and I was, you know so now you've got you're, you've got a third restaurant and obviously, you know, coronavirus has been a nightmare as a restaurateur. Um, but you're, you've got another exciting new project, Matthew, which is the the cheese barge. So what's the vision for that? and And, and will Cheddar be part of the cheese barge?
1: Yeah, so the cheese barge was actually supposed to be our second restaurant. So we started talking to um, this land in Paddington about this cheese barge about two, about two and a half years ago now. Um, and it's a really interesting project. They work with this quite um, successful architects practice to design this new iconic barge to sit on the canal outside Paddington Station. Um, and it's felt along the way very much like some kind of episode of grand designs or like b- building this boat from scratch has been delay after delay and um i mean coronavirus didn't help in terms of adding more delays but finally it's going to it's it's ready and it's going to open when restrictions relax in in april, april or may so the menus are a lot more balanced there's like a, a lot more seasonality um uh, in the dishes there's some fish for the first time in cheese bar history. Yeah, it's the kind of place we hope people will come to, you know, for lunch two times a week, uh, for dinner a couple of times a week, you know, like you could go back and it would and it would have new dishes every time and and less tied to like signature dishes or kind of like a, a small platey kind of tapas style where you can come and have like a few hot dishes a couple of, like, cheeses with condiments. Yeah.
2: There's there's some wonderful people in the in the cheese world, aren't there? You know, you're meeting with these producers um, and they're just a really, you know, a, a great group of people, actually. You know, I mean, they're very committed to what they do. You have to be, because it's such hard work. You wouldn't do it unless you're committed. So you've got all these relationships, haven't you?
1: Yeah, and I think I think now I reflect back on, like, why or why we've... One of the reasons that we've got so involved in that. And be, before I, I started the cheese truck, I i studied um furniture design and i think one of the things that uh i really liked about furniture time was was craftsmanship and people who who did who, who produced or made stuff for for love rather than for like commercial benefit or you, obviously there's a commercial element in everything but actually did it because they love it um and i think that's one of the things that i find so interesting about about british cheese and small producer british cheese is these people who you know it's like a labor of love and they spend every day doing this thing and and perfecting what they do you know so many cheesemakers are just so obsessive about about their cheeses and and about producing this fantastic product um and i think that's what what we find the most interesting and what we try to do is try and Find ways to show other people that story and show them how great that cheese can be.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough
5: crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers.